Bible. We're also going to specifically focus on how we can be faithful in different contexts of our lives. Okay, so now I have to do the seminar title and the session number, so. <laughs> seminar title is Contramundum, which is Against the World. Yes. That's from Sebastian. Not true. <laughs> it's the session number one. <laughs> All right. Well, let's say a word of prayer, and then we will dive into what lies ahead. Mm -hmm. Bow your heads with me, please. Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be here with you. We're so grateful for the privilege and joy it is to study your word without fear. Mm -hmm. I pray that in this time that we would learn more about who you are, we would see more clearly your character, your love, and how that directly impacts us today of all days and in this moment of all moments. Father, we ask that you'd empty us of ourselves and fill us with your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things in your law, and we would fall in love with you as we see you there. We ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I just want to give you a little bit of a heads up of what's coming down the pipeline. So we're going to, this is how, it's always going to be split up. So if you come back in two sessions and you're like, I wonder what their, their uh, format is. It's the same, same way. So it can be very predictable. So first we're going to introduce a Bible study method. Today's is, or this morning's, the first one is two C's and two R's. We'll give you some time to practice it. So that's that time that you'll be sitting in your seat. You can write on your yeah, phones, yeah. on a piece of paper, wherever you want to. But you're going to practice. It's going to be quiet in here, and there's going to be nothing to do except for study the Bible. So that's what we'll be doing. Then Sebastian and I will share a few insights. And then we're going to do something that I feel is a little ambitious. But uh, we're going to try to answer five questions in five minutes. So pray for us, you know? Amen. So there's going to be a way that you can ask questions and that's what this is right here. So this will be the same thing for all of our sessions. QR code, uh, a link there. Go ahead and scan that. Yeah, you can scan that, take a picture of it. You can submit questions at any time about maybe a, the passage or a way of studying the Bible or this is unclear or Sebastian said this super heretical thing. Can you please clear that up for us? You know, whatever, whatever strikes your fancy, whatever you want to ask questions about. So we'll have time for that at the end, but feel free to submit questions at any time. This is going to go away in five, four, three, two. Well, maybe your neighbor has it. Okay. So <laughs> this time we're going to go take our attention to the two C's and the two R's. So I'll give a little bit of explanation for each one, and then Sebastian will in turn give you an example from a Bible verse. Ooh. So our first C is communion. And it's this idea that you're sitting down with someone that has, maybe it's your grandfather who has this story, and you're a little five-year-old, and you're like, why did that happen, Grandpa? Where was it? Well, how did that happen? Where, how old were you? Did you like popsicles at that age, Grandpa? You know, you're just asking, you know, those little kids just ask all those questions. You're trying to notice every single detail about a story. So it's when you're approaching a text, you're noticing details, you're asking those questions. This is incredibly important, especially the more and more familiar we get with scripture, the more our eyes kind of glaze over. You're like, I know that story. Right? I know what happens. This isn't exciting anymore because I, I, I know what's going to come. But it's taking the time to notice the very, very small detail as well as the obvious detail. Mm. The main questions we also continue to ask is, what does the text actually say, but also noticing what does it not say? What are we inserting because of tradition or because of what we just thought it may be said, but that's actually not in the text itself. 
Mm. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, go to the Gospel of John, chapter 9, to apply this principle, to show you how this can unlock certain insights. And so as Callie was saying, right, if you imagine that God is telling you the actual story, he's speaking the actual words that you're reading in the Bible. I imagine if God spoke to you, wouldn't leave and just say, oh, thanks, and then keep it moving, right? How many of you would be like, hey, God, can I ask a question? Let me see your hands. Right? You would say, I, I need some clarity, right? And so in, in very similar ways, we have to approach the Bible in the very same way. And so you're in John 9, yes? Amen? Amen. Okay, so I just want you guys to know you can talk to the preachers, okay? This is not just you listen and nod. It's okay to talk. It's okay to say amen. You see it in Revelation. Jesus says, I come quickly. What did John say? Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Right? So he's responding. So when Jesus speaks, his people respond. So in John 9, the Bible says in verse 1, and as Jesus did what? What does your Bible say? Passed by, he saw a man which was blind from when? From his birth. So immediately in this text, right, if someone's telling you this story, what's a question you would ask? You said what? Why was he blind? Great question. Anyone else? Any other questions you would ask based on this text? Remember what Callie put there, right? What does it actually say? Where was Jesus going? Anyone else? How long has he been blind? What well, says from his birth, right? But how old is he now? Okay. That's true. Was he the only disabled person there? So one clear question, right, I haven't heard yet is why was Jesus passing by? Clearly, the Bible writer wanted you to know this was not an intentional destination. Jesus was actually just what? Passing by. You know what you did on the way to this seminar? Pass by a whole bunch of stuff, which means you were going somewhere, you were coming from somewhere, and what you're passing by was never your destination. You following? So the question is, why was Jesus passing by? Well, look in chapter 8, right before this. So the point is, when you ask questions of the Bible, write them down. A lot of times our insights in the Bible do not come from knowledge, they come from curiosity and questions. Don't assume you understand what the text is saying. You have to approach it as a, a little child. One of the greatest frustrations of doing family worship is the fact that my kids are going to stop you at every single statement and word that they don't know. So I'm like, listen, when God comes down and it was the incarnation, right? And then my six-year-old is like, Papa, what's incarnation? I'm like, oh, Lord. So God took on flesh. So he like put it on like a jacket, like. No, not like that. Like, that's a completely different heresy. So in this very sense, right, you're, you're realizing kids are going to ask curiosity. Why They don't just assume that they know. So in the same sense, we lose insights because we don't ask questions. So why was Jesus passing by? You want to ask the question of the text, but you also want to get the answer from where? From the text. Amen? Amen? So I'm not talking about extra biblical sources. I'm not talking about commentaries. From the actual Bible. Amen. So it says this, John 8. Jesus had just talked to them and said, Abraham, look to my day, etc., etc. Verse 59. 
Well, let's go to verse 58. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I what? I am. I am. They understood what that meant. That was Yahweh. That's Jehovah. And then he says, then took they up stones to do what? Okay, were they playing catch? What were they trying to do? But Jesus did what? Hid himself and went out of the where? Where was he coming from? Temple, that answered one question. And going through the midst of them and so did what? So that means this whole kerfuffle of people that were there to stone Jesus, why was Jesus passing by? Because they were trying to what? Which means they were trying to kill him. And as he's passing by, he sees a man who was blind from his birth. So John chapter 9 is all what happens when Jesus just passes by. Woo. But we have to move forward. But you get the lesson. I challenge you to look at that later today. What happens when Jesus just passes by? Next principle. So our second C is concentrate. This is, in my opinion, one that requires some of the most patience. And we're seeking to answer the question, what thought did God put in this verse for me? A lot of times we can find it by what detail sticks out to you. What, what is the lesson? What is the principle? How is it relevant to you? Some of us who are involved in a lot of church activities, we can go to scripture to give. Like, oh, I can't wait to share this Bible verse with someone. She really needs this. Or he really needs to hear this thing. You and I really need to hear this thing. Mm -hmm. So when we come to this verse, try not, don't think about your next sermon. Don't think about that Vespers you're going to speak for. Don't think about that verse you're going to text to someone next Friday night. Instead, Jesus, what are you trying to tell me right now? What is the thought that is relevant to my experience and that applies to me? And I'll tell you, there's some times where I sit with scripture and it's immediate. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, appreciate that. And other times I'll sit with the verse. I'm just sitting there for like an hour. And I'm like, Jesus, I don't know. <laughs> hmm. I don't know what it is. Facts. But often the times that I wait the longest, that is the time where Jesus is like, you just, you weren't ready to hear it. And I just need you to be ready to hear what I have to share with you now. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Cal. I appreciate that. Take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. My favorite chapter in the Bible. In verse 1, it says, in the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. See, when you read this verse, with this biblical principle, we read this verse for information. We use this verse to debate theological questions. But this principle says, when God inspired Moses to write these words, he had every single person in this seminar in mind. He anticipated one day you would read this verse. And he knew every detail of your life. So there's a thought in this verse for you. So I'm going to share with you the one that came to me. I was reading this verse, and I love Genesis 1. And I started to apply this principle. Lord, what are you telling me? In this verse, what, what is the thought you put in here for me, Sebastian Braxton? And what it, it immediately struck me was if God was there in the beginning, how many moments of the earth has God missed? Has he ever missed a moment, a second of anything has ever happened on earth? 
Why? Because he was there when? In the beginning. And immediately, I sensed God telling me, Sebastian, I've missed zero moments in your life. The first time you went to kindergarten, the first time you learned to read, the first time you got in a fight, the first time you ever picked up the Bible, the first time you ever preached a sermon. And we talk about absentee fathers, absentee mothers, families that are too busy in ministry to actually have time for their own families. But Jesus has never missed a moment of your life. He's been at every single step. And that thought, just sitting on that thought, helped me to recognize who I'm praying to, who I'm worshiping, who I'm fellowshipping with, and who I'm serving. Someone who's like, I don't miss moments. And immediately that thought awakened just from Genesis 1 verse 1, an immense amount of love towards God. Next principle. Okay. (laughs) The third one is remember. Oftentimes when we're looking at scripture itself, it reminds us of something else. Maybe it reminds us of a different principle. Like, where have I seen this principle before? Where have I heard about this location before, this person before, this situation? Where else in scripture does this remind you of? It could be something as simple as Jesus was in Capernaum. When was the last time Jesus was in Capernaum? What else did Jesus do in Capernaum? <laughs> or this is Paul. Okay, but he's also Saul. Wait, that's, who's, who's Saul? <laughs> like, just remembering all the different details of someone, but also just taking out the principle, which we'll talk more about at another time as well. But noticing those details, but allowing the Holy Spirit to remind you of other passages, other parts of Scripture that this reminds you of and bringing those things together. Amen. So we're going to do a quick one. So I want you to go to the book of Revelation to illustrate this biblical principle. So I want you to put your finger in, in Revelation 8 and your other finger in Revelation 16. So Revelation 8. So if you have a phone, this may be a little difficult to do. Because you can't put your finger on both things on the phone. But if you have a Bible, this would be a little bit easier to do. <laughs> Advantages of analog. So, so your finger's in Revelation 8, your finger's in Revelation 16. So Revelation 16 is the seven last plagues. Now I want you to notice with me the location. Uh-oh, thank you. The location of where the plagues are poured out upon. So, Revelation 16, are we there? Can you say amen? Amen. All right, it says in verse 2, And the first went and poured out his vial where? Upon the earth. Okay, now keep your finger there. Go to Revelation 8. This is the seven trumpets. And look at verse 7. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. Okay, go back to Revelation 16, verse 3. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. Go back to Revelation chapter 8, verse 8. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. Are you noting some similarities here? See, this is what happened to me when I was reading the book of Revelation. So I got to chapter 16, and I'm like, the earth, the land... Let me show you one more, just so you know I'm not making this up. Look at verse 4, Revelation 16. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters. Okay, go back to Revelation chapter 8, verse 10. 
And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon a third part of the rivers and the fountains of what? So you're like, wait a minute. What is happening? This sounds so familiar. In fact, it's almost exactly the same order. So the seven trumpets and the seven plagues have activity happens in the same place. But I also notice the difference. Is in Revelation 8, it says one third. So the question is, why is that the case? So as I'm reading Revelation 16, I realize it was giving me data to understand the seven last plagues in the seven trumpets and exactly what's happening. So we don't have time to dig into that now, but this is the principle of remember. Remembering, wait, where have I seen the sea before? Where have I seen rivers and fountains of waters? And guess what? Judgment's also happening in the seven trumpets. So clearly, there's something here that the Bible writer is trying to point my attention to. Our fourth principle for this morning is relive. Many of us have been gifted with very vivid imaginations, <laughs> and this is the perfect time to use this. In reliving, we're putting ourselves in the story. Again, this is a wonderful thing to do, especially when you're very familiar with the story, and almost it's just hard to pay attention, but like, what would it have been like to experience it? Mm. How would you have felt as this person? What would be going through your mind? What would you have wanted to do? How would you experience it with all of your senses? These are not just words on a page, but this is, these were lived experiences. And so what would it have been like to live that experience? Go to Numbers chapter 21. Okay. Thank you. So Numbers chapter 21, and I'm trying to go Old and New Testament purposefully. So you can see it doesn't just apply in the New Testament. also applies in the Old and vice versa. It says in Numbers chapter 21, verse 4, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the what? Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much what? Discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loathes this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. And much people of Israel did what? When people die, what do you have for them? A funeral, right? So a lot of people died. There were a lot of funerals. And what did these people die from? Snake bites, right? Poisonous snakes. Notice... The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, make you a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, who, when he looks at it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he did what? So reliving this thing is to say, listen. If you are, first of all, walking by the Red Sea, the Red Sea was the place that God parted for you to be delivered from slavery. And the Bible says you became discouraged near your greatest deliverance. 
You're literally surrounded by a body of water that says God is willing to split seas to keep his promise to you. But the people became discouraged. So this is intellectually reliving this experience. But then we go forward and say snakes biting people. You know, the Bible didn't say the snakes only bit people between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. Right. So now you're sleeping in the wilderness in a tent. And all of a sudden you wake up and you hear something moving in your tent. It could be your child. It didn't say only men were bitten by snakes. It didn't say pregnant women were excluded. It didn't say children were excluded. It didn't say your animals were excluded. And I read something about when you are bitten by a poisonous snake, you can actually taste the venom in your mouth. See, now you're reliving it. And Moses goes and he's praying while people are getting bitten by snakes and dying. And God says, go make a pole. So, I mean, how long does it take to make a serpent out of brass? Can you just bend that with your hands? People are dying. So you think that brother's like, oh, you know, I think it's time for my 15 minute break. So he's hammering this thing, puts it on a pole, and he's running out. And you think Moses is like, hey, guys, if you look at this bronze serpent, you'll live. Is that what he's doing? What is he doing? He's yelling. We're talking about a congregation of 600,000 people. Look, look. If you look at this thing and you were bitten, you will live. So in this very experience, when you relive the text, this little story in the book of Numbers that's referenced by Jesus. If I be lifted up as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, well, how do you think he lifted it up? As high as he possibly could. And his voice was calling attention to it, because if you just look at it, what would happen? You will live. So in this very experience, reliving the text brings out so many different insights in the story. Just by taking time to think about the sensory. What did you hear? What did you see? What did it smell like? What did it taste like? The venom in your mouth. All because of complaining. So it goes to show you how God feels about complaining. <laughs> Man, I'm like convicted right now. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so we know that was kind of a whirlwind of telling you four principles, but Sebastian and I are big believers that we should try to do things before we know how to do them perfectly. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. So for the next 15 minutes, we'd like you to go to Daniel 1 in your Bibles, and you can practice all of them if you're feeling ambitious. Probably better just to choose one, just to be able to really focus on and practice in this passage. So right now... Choose one, maybe two, of taking Daniel 1, communing, asking those questions, looking at those details, concentrate. What is the lesson that God has put there for you? Remember what other passages, other principles this reminds you of, and relive. What would it have been like to experience this for yourself? All right, so you guys go and get started. We're going to roam around, provide some help, answer any questions you have, but we actually want you to study Daniel 1 using these principles. So pull out your Bible, pull out your phone, whatever you take notes, piece of paper, pen. Let's get into the text. All right, so we're going to pause, bring you guys back, attention back up front for a little bit. So Callie and I are going to go and, and kind of apply some of these things ourselves. We've, um, 
If you've ever listened to Inverse, you know Callie and I have studied the Bible together <laughs> quite a bit, um, all the time. And what people, most people don't know is we usually record those episodes like all in one or two days, back to back. So you actually have to study the whole thing up front. Um, so anyway, we're in Daniel chapter 1, and our first principle that we were trying to practice was which principle? Communion. Very good. So that communion principle, you remember, was about what? Details, storytelling, Anyone else, anything else you remember? Asking questions. That's the critical piece. So it says here in Daniel chapter 1, in verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and did what? My first question was, what does it mean to besiege it? My second question is, why Jerusalem? Now, in that question, right, I'm trying to say, well, why would you come to Jerusalem to besiege Jerusalem of all places, and why besiege it? Why not just attack it? So you realize to besiege something means to do what? Surround it. It means nothing comes in, nothing goes out. So the whole strategy of besieging is to starve you. So immediately in looking at this, Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't come in assuming he could just conquer it straight out right. He felt like he had to weaken it by besieging it, by starving it from nothing coming in to nothing coming out. And I found that to be very interesting in the start of the book is that, well, why, why even choose Jerusalem? And so this will lead to another principle that we'll talk about of remembering another place in the Bible that specifically addresses Babylon and Jerusalem having interaction. The king of Judah and the king of Babylon having interaction. There is another story like that. So when I first asked communion, this is the, the second verse is obviously a big one. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So let me get this straight. The God, Jehoiakim's God, gave him up to his enemy. My question is, what did Jehoiakim do that God was willing to give you up to your enemy? So now I got to ask myself the question. God, I, want, I don't want to follow his example. So I need to understand Jehoiakim very, very clearly and very deeply because I don't want to be a leader of my ministry, of my home, of my organization and business, worshiping God, but God is giving me up to the Nebuchadnezzars of the world. He's allowing me to lose. He's allowing me to suffer defeat. Simply by asking the question, why did he give him up? And I got to now go on a biblical search to answer that question. Why did he give Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hands? Go with me to verse 8 in Daniel 1. We know this verse, right? It's like the most famous one in Daniel chapter (laughs) 1. But Daniel purposed in his heart. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not 
defile himself. Mm. Looking at it with communion, first thing I notice is the order. Daniel purposes in his heart before he requests. Daniel wasn't like, well, this is my preference. I'll like try it, try it out. I'll like ask, but if they say no, I'll be like, I respectfully understand. And I just mm. like will not purpose in my heart. Thank you so much. Right. <laughs> Daniel makes a decision. And because of that, he makes a request. And so the order, order matters in our faithfulness. Mm. The order in which we do things is the difference between faithfulness and a maybe. And I'll, I'll just, I tried my best Jesus, but it didn't work out. So sorry, they said no, so I can't do it. <laughs> Concentrate for me, the lesson that God has put there for me is God, well, let me say the verse first. So go to the next verse. Verse 9, now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. My fellow English stutterers out here, had brought, that past or present? Past. past. Completed. <laughs> God had brought Daniel into, had brought Daniel into what? Favor. The favor and compassion, goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Mm-hmm. God had done for Daniel what he already needed before he knew that he had needed that. The thought for me there is God gives me things before I know that I need them. Yes. Before I even realized I was in a situation where I needed favor. I needed goodwill. I needed somebody to be on my side. I needed somebody to like me. God's like, yeah, I did all that. Mm -hmm. I set the whole thing up before you were even stressed. Yes. And now, so, oh, go ahead. Well, this is, this is the crazy thing, right, Cal? Because that means that Daniel was deciding to be faithful to a God who let him become a slave. That's true. So when you think about faithfulness and anonymity, you were just one of who knows the children in the king's house. Yeah. No one knew your name in 2 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles. All we know is you're just part of the royal family and somehow a secular king saw something in you. So to purpose in his heart and be faithful to God when you may feel you're in a situation in which God has not been faithful to you. So will you be faithful then? Will you decide in anonymity? Because you're not in Israel, you're in Babylon. So if you decide to come to Portland and go out and smoke something and drink something and hit on somebody, no one in Portland is going to know. Because everyone in Portland isn't attending GYC. So in that anonymity, not only has God allowed you to be taken as a slave, but now you're in a place where if you live like a Babylonian and not like a Jew, no one's going to look at you any different. So why would you be faithful then? Why would you be faithful then? So for me, that the, the concentrate element there is God giving me up to my enemy. And yet me deciding... I will not defile myself. I will still follow your word. I will still obey and trust you and be faithful to you, even though the circumstances suggest you have not been faithful to me. Going to the remember, it reminds me of one of my favorite verses, which is Psalm 5, verse 12. Mm. The Bible says, For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor 
you will surround him as with a shield. Daniel yes. was a slave. Daniel was in a very unideal situation from almost any way you look at it. But he was surrounded with favor, as with a shield. As we'll discover, he goes from different king, like a king will conquer another king. And Darius is like, yeah, I know you were a second in command to that other king, but like you can be my second command too. Like That's okay. <laughs> so being surrounded with favor, that makes no sense at all. But that is what surrounded Daniel. And so that is a principle that I see is still there. And the last thing I'll say of reliving it, this idea of being faithful and anonymity. Daniel was faithful and anonymity by stepping out of his anonymity. Mm. He made himself known to the chief of the eunuchs. Right. He says he purposed in his heart, therefore he requested. I mean, there were options, right? <laughs> he purposed in his heart and therefore he's just like, no, thank you, I'm fasting. Yeah. But he went out of his way to request of the chief of the eunuchs. In other words, he made a big deal. Yeah. Like he made, he made a statement. He stepped out and was like, oh, you're, you're Dan, you're, you're Belshazzar. You're, man, you're that guy. <laughs> and he stepped out of that. And so sometimes being faithful requires us to step out of anonymity, requires us to step out of being like, what's your name again? Oh, I didn't want to. I don't want to tell you that. <laughs> I'm Callie. Oh, yeah, you're Callie. Yeah, I'm Callie. I'm sorry. <laughs> but being faithful requires being known because being faithful requires there to be something different about you. Yes. Why don't we know the names of the other Judah captives? They didn't step out of anonymity. There's nothing to remember them by. Hmm. And so when God calls us to do things, God calls us to be faithful. And many times the scariest thing of all is for people to know who we are because of what we've chosen to do for Jesus. That's right. So it's beautiful what you said because the thing that I got from the reliving it was the recognition that seeing that food, seeing the wine, the celebration, the false worship, all of these different things. We often think that we're going to earn the favor of the Nebuchadnezzars of the world by compromise. And here is Daniel saying, by being faithful to God and to my unique, peculiar, that's a word that the Bible uses, peculiar belief and being faithful to that, in a situation where I might not only offend my neighbor, because some of us won't even offend somebody at the checkout line. <laughs> we want to pretend like we're not praying in the restaurant. We just put our head down and bow, you know, put our hand over the edge so people don't really, can't really tell, do you have a headache or are you praying? <laughs> you know it's true. So we're afraid to tell somebody, I don't eat pork. I'm plant-based. Well, it's not that they're asking you to eat pork. They're just asking you to eat chicken. So it's okay for risk of offending people. Daniel is a slave in a foreign country to a king. Who the captain said, look, if you don't look healthy. Daniel was willing to bet the life of the captain of the eunuch on God's faithfulness to him by following his law. I'm so willing to be faithful to God that he will actually protect your head 
But you see, some of us would not be willing to be faithful to God if it was somebody else's life on the line. All of a sudden, we feel we're being selfish. But here's the irony. Not only does his faithfulness save the captain of the eunuch, that is actually how he gets closer to the king was because of his faithfulness. Because three times in the text, God gave things. First, he gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. Then he gave, same word in Hebrew, Daniel favor. And then at the end, look with me in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 17. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in how many visions and dreams? All of them. Who gave it to him? The same way he gave Jehoiakim. So the God who rules nations, who can decide your nation's going down, is the same God who can give you favor, is the same God that can give you skill and wisdom and understanding in all visions and dreams. So to me, the text is saying God is a giver. He's willing to give. I'm done. (laughs) Take your time. Take your time. I know. I know. We're at the end of our session one. Isn't that wild? Wild, wild. Time flies. We're having fun. So we have five questions in five minutes. Do you believe we can do it, Sebastian? We can do it. Mm, Okay. (laughs) I'm ambitious by nature. (laughs) That is is true. That's a true fact. (laughs) All right. So thank you so much for all of your guys' questions. So I chose five of them. First question is, can you expand on what exactly Jehoiakim did for God to give him up to the enemy? Yes. Um, 30-second response is... (laughs) Jehoiakim is the cousin and brother of two other kings, Jehoaz and Zedekiah, who you find in 2 Chronicles 36. The reason for this had to do with several different things. The first one was breaking the Sabbath. The second one was idolatry. And the third one was not taking care of the poor, the widows, and the unprotected and the vulnerable in the country. And ultimately, as a result, God gave them up, which goes all the way back to Hezekiah when the Babylonians sent ambassadors. And instead of showing them God, he showed them all the treasures so they knew exactly what to come for when he came. That's a 30-second response. (laughs) Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. All right, second question. How long have you been studying the Bible using these methods? And can you share a testimony of the impact it's had in your life or someone else's life? I'll start with this one. So Sebastian actually taught me how to study the Bible this way. It's very meta <laughs> right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. 13 years ago. Let's let that wash over you, Sebastian. Okay. <clears throat> so he taught me. And I would say the reason I'm up here is because of how much this has transformed my personal relationship with Jesus and studying the Bible. And the best way to describe it is growing up in the Adventist church, growing up, going to church every Sabbath. I went to Adventist schools. I am very, very Adventist. I had haystacks every Sabbath. So Mm. very Adventist. Um, But I would say the Bible just, honestly, I just had a very like, yeah, the pastors know the Bible. And I listen to people talk about the Bible. And that is my relationship to the Bible. Mm. And so people would share really deep things. And I'm like, I don't really get how you got that. But thank you. 
for that <laughs> message. Thank you for that principle. Sometimes people would say, I'm like, okay, I kind of sort of see it. Or the other times I'm like, I don't feel like that's in the Bible verse, but okay. Uh, but you know, just, I just, it didn't feel accessible. Just like, clearly I don't have a master's of divinity and that's why I don't understand the Bible. <laughs> and that's just how I went about my life. Mm. But Sebastian and a good friend of his, Israel Ramos, they both showed me that studying the Bible is accessible to literally anyone. And just to see that, I, I remember the first time I found something that I would say like was like life-changing, and it was just me alone in my dorm room, and I was like, no one told me this. <laughs> like, it was just me and Jesus. That is so cool. <laughs> mm. And so just that, that kind of experience of we do, yes, we are blessed by community. We praise God for pastors. We praise God for GYC. But we praise God more for a personal relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit that reveals his word to literally anyone and everyone. And so Amen. that, ever since, I'm like, man, we just got to tell everyone how to study the Bible because it's the best thing ever. <laughs> so, yeah. So my only compliment to that, thank you, Callie, for the kind yeah. words. Um, <laughs> June 1st, uh, 18, I think it's 57. <laughs> I'm not that old. <laughs> I rebuke you. <laughs> June 1st. <laughs> Youth instructor, I found this statement um, by Ellen White and this obsession with hermeneutics and Bible study um, was essentially born from reading this statement. She says, it may be difficult for you to love to study the Bible at once when you have not been in the habit of studying but God will help you. She says, ask him for his forgiveness for neglecting his holy word so long. Ask him to give you love and interest in the Bible. And then she ends with this statement, and this is the one that got me. Ellen White said, when I lose my love for the Bible, I am alarmed. Now, this is a woman who's seen Jesus. She's seen Enoch. She's seen God the Father. Describes it in early writings. She's literally written the foremost book on the life of Christ. And she says, when I lose my love for the Bible, I am alarmed. Why, Ellen, are you alarmed? Because I know I don't love Jesus if I do not love to study the book that testifies of him. And that, from that day forward became my mission was, I want to love to study the book that talks about Jesus. Amen. And I want to help other people to love to study the same book. And for me, that is what has transformed my ministry, my life, and to hear Callie say those things is a very emotional thing to hear because that's my only prayer is that people would love the Bible and know that they can read and study it for themselves. And to know that Ellen White could lose her love for the Bible means I don't have to feel bad when I do. But to know that God will help me, that I can go to Jesus and he can give me love and interest in the Bible. He can do that. And as I study it and seek him in that, and I love it. I know I love Jesus because I love to study the book that testifies of him. 
So that to me is how it's transformed my life. Well, we got two out of five, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Would y'all stand with us as we close and pray together? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you pray for us, Sebastian? Sure. Mighty God, everlasting Father, we leave this place never to leave your presence. We thank you for passing by this seminar room. God, as we read your word, and Father, as we reflected upon it, we could sense you speaking to us. Lord, give us hearts that love and study the Bible. But above all, give us faithfulness, even when we're anonymous. Lord, people have keyboard courage to troll people online. Give us keyboard courage to testify to Jesus' greatness. Help us to be faithful even when no one is watching. When we're in our car, when we're in our hotel room. Lord, when no one's there, may we be like Daniel. May we purpose in our hearts, I will not defile myself by what I'm about to watch on my phone and my tablet. May I not defile myself by what I'm about to eat or drink. May I not defile myself by what I'm about to say or the relationship I'm about to partake of. No one may know, but Jesus knows. And as Callie rightly said, your name shall not only be known to men, but in eternity. This is our prayer. We offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded in partnership with Audio Burst, the GYC conference, but if not, in Portland, Oregon. GYC is a supportive ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take sacrificial initiative for Christ and to see Jesus finish the work in this generation. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.